Excuse me, sir. Um, I'm trying to spread some Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear. Would you mind if I sang you a Christmas carol? Sure. Okay. Um, Elf says that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. Can I sing a Christmas carol for you? Would that be okay? Okay, I'm not very good, but... Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. I'm going to sing Away in a Manger. I don't know that song, but okay. Okay. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Thank you so hey, much. You, Merry sir. Christmas. Thank you. And thanks for putting words to the music that we hear in the stories. Yeah. You're from Minnesota. Yeah. Um, we're not. Where do you go from there, right? I'm just glad they didn't have Life Church shirts on, you know? And uh, man, I, I, wow. Wow. It's great to see you today and uh, good to have you. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and this is the weekend before Christmas Eve. And I hope if you're in town that you will join us here at 2 o'clock or 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock uh, for one of our Christmas Eve services. And uh, again, bring your family. Uh, the in-laws and outlaws are coming with us. And so uh, we'll make it, won't we, babe? We hope. All right. So uh, they're all coming. It's going to be a good time. And uh, wow. How many of you guys have family coming from out of town? Raise your hand. You got family coming out of town? How many of you guys are going out of town with, to go with family? No love. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, we'll be praying for those of you that have, that are traveling, those of you that are here. Again, we hope that you'll be here with us. And this is incredible. It's a great time. And I just want to encourage you too. you know, um, there are so many people that are open to being invited to a Christmas Eve service, uh, more so than what you think. And there's a lot of people that, you know, today in America, there are more single adults in America than there are married. So in the last 12 months, that shifted for the first time in I don't know how many decades uh, in American culture. And so if forever. And so um, I just encourage you, there's a lot of people that are going to probably go home on Christmas Eve, and they're going to be alone on Christmas Day, and your invitation them may be the only invite that they get. And we sometimes think, no, everybody's got some place to go, and everybody has family. Not always. And so I encourage you, take the communication card, uh, the, excuse me, the little invite card that you have when you came in, and just simply take that and invite someone. Uh, just, um, just let somebody know. Even if you're just going, I don't know who to invite. If you're in the drive-thru at Starbucks, this always works. Just buy the person's coffee behind you and then just give them this card and just say, hey, just want to invite them. And, and 
the Bristol actually did the, the inviting for you, which is pretty great. So anyhow, it's good stuff. Well, we're in our series here on carols. And, um, and as we, uh, we wrap things up, we've been looking at some, at some great carols, Christmas carols that we sing. And, and I love these. And, and, uh, and one of the things I love is I love hearing the children sing them. Because, um, you know, Tammy and I, especially when our girls were little, uh, it was one of the things that I was like, this is how we learn these songs. And the reality is, if your kids are in public school, they're probably not taught these songs. Um, and so growing up, man, there was at Sunnymead Elementary, uh, there was always a Christmas program, and all these songs were taught. And that was 1970-something. Yeah, that's a great country song, too. But anyhow, and so, uh, you know, we... We don't have that, and so to teach that and to do that, and so I don't want to make light of any of these things. I think they're great ways to, to pass on this, this timeless message of who Jesus is. And Away in the Manger is one of those carols. It's one of those Christmas songs that I think has incredible theology to it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was actually written in the late 1800s. It was a, uh, a Lutheran Sunday school curriculum song. It was actually written to basically teach in Sunday school for children to be able to learn about the birth of who Jesus was and, and what he came to do and, and that God loved us. And, and actually the author is unknown. We don't know who actually wrote the song. And, uh, but if you listen to the song, if you listen to the cadence of the song and even the melody of the song, if you're not careful, it sings and sounds a lot like a lullaby. And if you're really not careful, you begin to think of Jesus as just a babe in a manger, which he was. Uh, that's part of the Christmas story. It's, it's amazing. But he didn't just stay that babe in a manger, right? He, he left the nativity scene, if you would. And, and he grew up. And the Bible says that he grew in stature and he grew in favor with all men. And he did that because he was going to take on the sins of the world. And he couldn't do that as a babe in a manger. He had to do that as a man who the Bible says was tempted and tried in all ways and all manners that you and I are, yet without sin. And I just want to challenge you today because what happens sometimes when we, sometimes even during the Christmas season, when we hear these songs, we, we think more about Jesus as a babe in a manger than as he being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and, and this is just kind of a thought that I just want to just spend a couple minutes on and then we're going to wrap things up. Is in your world, is Jesus away in a manger or is Jesus Lord? Just a question. Is Jesus kind of away in a manger? Is that how you view him, or do you view Jesus as Lord? Again, everybody knows a story, mostly in, in, in the context and the world in which you and I live. But very few people really know Jesus. And so how do you view him, away in a manger or as Lord? You know, in the New Testament, over 740 times, Jesus is referred to as Lord. Even in the Christmas story, in the account of, of the birth of Christ, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse number 10 and 11, the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Even the angel of the Lord, when Jesus was born, wanted the, the shepherds, they wanted the wise men, they wanted everybody that was there to understand what was happening was bigger than a babe in a manger, was bigger than, than this child that was being born, but that he would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Well, if Jesus is Lord, then what does that mean in our lives? What does that mean in our finances? What does that mean in our futures? What does that mean about our past? What does that even mean in our own Christmas? See, the word Lord that's used 740 times in the New Testament, it's the same word. It's the Greek word, uh, uh, kurios, which means supreme in authority or controller. Wow. All of those of you that are type A, just really, the air got really tied in the room. It just means that, that, that it, when it says that Jesus is Lord, it means he's the supreme authority, which means there's none higher than him. There's none beside him. You know, God doesn't have an equal. This isn't Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. This isn't two worlds that are equal. No, no, no. God is so much greater and Jesus is so much greater. And the reality is, is that he is the supreme authority, but he's also the controller. What does that mean? Does that mean, I thought you said, Aaron, all the time that you always say that God doesn't control us like rock'em, sock'em robots, that we're free moral agents, that, that we have power of choice and of will. Yes, we do. No, God does not control us like some heavenly joystick. Speaking of joysticks, I don't know if you saw on social media this week, but I got an early birthday gift from the staff. Wow. My birthday is December 31st, so typically we're gone. This has nothing to do with the message, but I've been playing this all afternoon, so I'm just thinking about this, and it just kind of hit me, and it was kind of one of those, again, I kind of have adult ADD, so it's like there's a bird right there. But they got me a full-size Pac-Man arcade game that I could actually take home. And the thing I said to Ryan was, I said, how in the world did you talk my wife into letting me have this? Because when we, we in, the, you know, in the video, in the gaming area there for the kids, we have a Pac-Man. That's not by just happenstance, folks. That's the divine providence of yours truly. I love to play. And as a kid growing up again in the 80s, uh, you know, it costs money. Well, these machines now, that you can set them so that it's just free play. Except for my daughters. I, make, I turn, flip the switch and I have to put quarter. I'm just teasing. Offer missions. No, but, but so anyhow, but it's got like 64 games on it. Everything from Donkey Kong to Galaga to uh, Space Invaders. I taught my daughters how to play Space Invaders. This has nothing to do with the message. I need to keep going on. The reality is, is that God doesn't control us like I controlled Pac-Man. High score just saying, holla. As I controlled him with a joystick. God doesn't control us that way. But we have choice. Again, we have choice. Do we see Jesus as a babe lying in a manger? Is the Jesus in your life away in the manger? Is he someone that you visit at Christmas? Or is he Lord? See, the reality of that is you make the choice. You get to choose that. God doesn't choose that for you. Jesus doesn't choose that for you. He, he came to this earth because God loved you and I so much that Jesus gave his one and only life for us. But the power of what we do with Jesus is up to us. And, and that surrendering to the lordship of Jesus, that's the difference. The difference, whether you view Jesus as a babe in a manger or you view him as Lord is, all right, have you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus? That's kind of what I want to challenge you upon today. In the middle of all of the Christmas, in the middle of all the presents, in the middle of all of the food and the eating, and I'm just telling you, I'm up another 2.5 pounds. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. I'm just saying. That's why I keep wearing glasses, to keep your faces right up here instead of right here. And the colors just get darker and darker as we go along. 
I really have gained two pounds this week. Man, I have eaten, haven't I? I had more sugar cookies this week that made it for our family. Thank you to the White House family, but it didn't make it home. But I ate them. They were great. So anyhow, but, 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 but the, the reality is, am I, am I surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus? And there's two ways that we approach that. Well, one way is, it really isn't surrender, but it's partial surrendered, a partially surrendered life. This is what we like to do. It's the partially surrendered life. It's what we in cultural America, we cultural Christians, this is kind of what many of us Christ followers, we fall into this category. We verbally say that we're followers of Christ. We, we verbally give assent. We, 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 we want to be, if there's a box to check, yes, I'm a Christian. No, I'm not a different religion. No, I'm not agnostic or atheistic. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Hindu. I'm not Buddhist. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we've not really completely surrendered ourselves to Jesus. We've surrendered ourselves to Jesus at Christmas, the way in the manger Jesus. And we've surrendered ourselves to the crucified Jesus, which because we come to church on Easter. But that's about the only two times that we really kind of come. We kind of come occasionally in between when, when the money gets tight and when we lose a job or when there's relational difficulty or when things are falling apart. But when life's good and the money's good and, and we, well, we've got places to go. And you just understand, Pastor, we're busy and we love God and we love him. And and we want to serve him, but just life happens and kids happen and, and schools and schedules and sporting programs and, and you know, and, and marriage and business. And we hope God understands because we love him with our heart. We're just not always here and, and, and we don't always get to give the way we want to. And, and we're going to work on that this year. Yeah, this year, that's going to be something that we're going to change. This isn't new. Jesus says in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, but yet you don't do what I ask you to do? Again, you don't owe me an answer. I'm, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not even the holy representative. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. But many people say that he's Lord in their life, but they don't live it. Many times we, follow, we find ourselves saying, I believe in the Lord, but I just don't trust him with everything in my life. I'll trust him with eternity, but I really don't trust him with my job. I'll trust him with eternity, but I really don't trust him with my kids. I trust him with eternity, but I really don't trust him with my future mate. I, I trust him with my life, I say, but I really am not going to trust him with my future. I believe in the Lord, but I still kind of do what I want to do. I believe in the Lord, but I still want to be in control. And my question to you is this, if you find yourself at any part in this message going, wow, is that like bad Chipotle that I had yesterday? No, that's called the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's saying to you, hey, Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone? What have I not surrendered to the Lord? That's a great question for all of us to ask ourselves. What have I not surrendered to the Lord? What do I keep taking back from God? The Bible says in the book of Job that God gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And so our posture as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to be people who live life palms up. God gives, I like when he gives. But when he takes away, I want to kind of hold on to it and go, no, that's mine, God, you've already given that to me, remember? It's lordship. It's lordship. 
I would encourage you to take some time and really ask yourself that question. Maybe God's wanting something that he's given to you. Maybe he's wanting to test you in an area of your life. Maybe he's wanting to see, do you really trust me? Do you really follow me? Maybe he's saying, hey, you call me Lord, but yet you do what you want to do. And why don't you do what I ask you to do? Well, what does God ask me to do, Aaron? If God showed up and he told me, Aaron, this is what I want you to do, I would do it. And I think all of us would. But the reality is he did that. It's called the Bible. It's amazing how many people who say they're a follower of Jesus Christ have never read the book once. Why? Because we're partially surrendered. We're partially surrendered. Man, is it me or is it really quiet in here? I didn't mean to... And this, uh, we're going to eat after this. So don't get all, don't lose your appetite, right? I mean, not that we're having a buffet. Wouldn't that be awesome? But, but I'm just saying, I just want you to think for a minute. Because I think what happens is, is we get caught up in this away in a manger Jesus. And we're even okay with a crucified Jesus at Easter. But he's not a baby in a manger. And he's not still hanging on a cross. He has risen. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says, John the Revelator says that he knocks on the door of every man and woman's heart. And if they will simply open the door of their heart and let him in, he will come in. How do I do that? By surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. The second way that we really find Jesus as Lord is fully surrendered living. The fully surrendered life. This is the quest that we're on. And let, let me tell you something. Sometimes this is like a Tupperware lid, all right? You kind of wrestle with it, and you get three corners down, and you're burping the fourth one to pop it down, and then another one pops up. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that we're always perfect in this. But the goal in life is that my life is fully surrendered to Jesus. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I just don't want to get out of hell free card. I don't just want God to save me from hell, and I want to live the way I want to live on this earth. No, I'm dealing with my own humanity and I'm dealing with my own stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm really on a journey trying to fully surrender myself, trying to fully put this flesh down. Paul deals with this into, into the church in Rome. But you listen to what he says in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. For none of us live, excuse me, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. He's spiritually speaking here. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. That word Lord means supreme authority or controller. So if I live, I live under the control of Jesus as a Christ follower. If I die, I die under the control of Jesus whether I live or whether I die, that's up to God. That's not up to me. But I do that as unto Jesus, the supreme authority of my life. Jesus, the one who is truly in control of my life. It's like this. It's like a wedding ring. You know, I remember when I was 22 years of age, and it'll be 20 years next month that Tammy and I got married. It was a cold January in Springfield, Missouri. And, and I remember going to get her ring. We got engaged July 1st. 
uh, downtown Memphis, Tennessee, and I was youth pastoring uh, just north of Memphis in, in a suburb, and, and uh, we were there where, if you've seen the movie with Tom Cruise and the firm, so it's the top of the Peabody Hotel, that's where, that's, that's where we were, and we'd had dinner, which is a whole other story for another day, because that was actually a riot. I got bad advice on a quote-unquote best restaurant. Oh my goodness. So anyhow, and, uh, but I remember that ring. I remember how much money I had to pay for that ring. I remember how long it took me to save up for that ring. And that ring on her finger symbolized that she and I were one, that we were fully surrendered to one another, that no longer was she the supreme authority of her life, nor I was the supreme authority of my life, but that we were together in control with each other, that the two of us become one. And although that ring did not cost her anything financially, it did cost her the rest of her life. And although the ring that she got me didn't cost me anything financially, it did cost me the rest of my life. And the same is true of salvation. Salvation is something that you and I can't earn, we can't work for, we cannot pay. It, it, it's free. It's free. It's a free gift that God gives us. For God so loved us, John 3, 16 said, that he gives his only one and only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not be perished, but should be saved. Salvation, it's free. All I got to do is ask Jesus to come into my heart and my life. But the price of following Jesus cost me my life. And to live fully surrendered it means that I'm no longer in control. It means I'm no longer Lord. It means I'm no longer the supreme authority. What does that mean, Aaron? In a real practical sense, it means this, that I have to check myself. I have to check my attitude. I have to check me. Practically, it means that what I have is not mine. I, I, nothing wrong with having things. Just don't let things have you. Are you willing to walk away from it? The car, the house, the job, the title. Yes. Annually, every year with the church board, I sit down because I, I, I believe that although I'm a person of authority, I need to be a person under authority. There's a lot of people that are, are people of authority, but they refuse to be under authority. Why? Their own insecurities, poor theology, whatever. But I'll sit down with those gentlemen and say, listen, how are things going at Life Church and what's happening? Am I still the best guy to lead this church? Because I, 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 I don't get a corner market on this. I don't get to just make decisions and go, here's where I want to live and here's what I want to do and here's how my life's going to go. No, 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 no. We're people that are completely surrendered to the, to the Holy Spirit. We believe in a, a cloud by day, according to the Old Testament, and fire by night. Just as God led Moses and the nation of Israel out of bondage, he leads us still, and, and he leads us. The Bible says that we, his sheep, know the voice of the shepherd. So when God speaks, it means if God says, hey, Aaron, you've done what you're supposed to do at Life Church. there's a new mission, there's a new assignment. I'm in the Lord's army, kind of like Nando. Did you just see him a few minutes ago? He had his cross and his dog tag on. I don't know what that was all about, but anyhow, did you see that? I thought we were getting ready for like High School Musical 2 or something with the jacket and everything. I asked Ryan about that. Is that bad? I need to be nicer to Nando? Okay, I'll be nice. He knows I love him. He's back in the back, yeah, right now. Going, I'm quitting. I'm leaving here. I'm going back to San Antonio. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that I, I give up my rights. And not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I teach this to my daughters all the time. Listen, 
There'll be a family that will, will be transferred or moved or someone will move from here to there. When Coach Buzz Williams moved from here to Virginia, I sat down with the girls and said, listen, I know that you've been in their home, they've been in our home, we've been together, and he's moving. And because he's got a new assignment. And the same is true of us. When God moves us, if he chooses to, we just say, yes, God. Same way with our finances. Lord, they're yours. The same way with my daughters. Wow. How many times are we sometimes, even as Christ followers, we're willing to give of our money and give of our time and give of our energy, but we will not release our children. Maybe God wants them to be a missionary somewhere. Maybe, maybe God wants them to do something that's different. Maybe it means that they'll never live in the same hometown again. They're his. We're either fully surrendered or we're not. Proverbs says it like this in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to listen. He wants us to know him as Lord. Not because he's trying to ruin our lives, because he wants the very best for us. I may not always understand his ways, but I can trust his heart. That's what it means to know him. It means to truly love him. It means to trust him. It means to surrender to him. And I want to end with one passage in Matthew chapter 7, and then I'm going to close in prayer. It's what Jesus says about lordship. I think this is the most sobering passage on this subject. It's chilling. And don't, let me say this, don't try to exegete the truth out of it. Don't try to spin it. Let it just say what it says. I really believe that the Bible is not that complicated. Oh, I think there's contextual criticisms, and, there's, and there are things that will help us to understand from an Eastern perspective to a Western perspective, and there's sometimes translation things that can bring a newer uh, nuance to it. But you have to understand that scholars and theologians have spent unreal amount of hours to try to take the original meaning and not to twist it or to contort it or to confuse you or I, but to translate it in such a way to keep it with the true text and meaning. It's what they call the heart language. It's more than just a literal grammatical syntax. It's actually the expression of the heart. Jesus says, according to Matthew, as he writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many people will say to me on that day, speaking of the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That verse says exactly what you think it says. That just because we verbally profess our faith 
doesn't mean that we are truly right with God. Well, Aaron, can you really know? Yes. Well, how do you know? Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if I confess with my mouth, so I verbally confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I truly believe that in my heart, then I am saved. Oh, I can look at your life and tell kind of the fruit of your life, kind of what kind of life you're living, the same way you can with mine. An apple tree bears apples, and an orange tree bears oranges. And if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, suffering. You'll bear these things out in your life. And if you don't, you'll bear the opposite of that. Anger and rage and impatience and, and, and lack of self-control and just a, basically, it'll begin to explode out. So who's the judge? It's not me. It's not the church. It's God. Well, how does he know? Well, he looks at your heart. The Old Testament says that man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. So you mean to tell me, Aaron, I can do things in my life that seem very spiritual and be far away from God? Yes. You mean to say I can do things as spiritual as, 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 as God flowing through me to do a miracle, or so it seems, or, or to do something that's, that's very demonstrative? Yes. My grandmother used to say it like this, Aaron, it doesn't matter how high you jump in church, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground that matters. There's a lot of church people that want a lot of shucking and jiving going on at church, but they don't want to live the life. There's a lot of church people that want to have this spiritual kumbaya moment, but they like to run their mouths, and they like to murmur, and they like to complain. And if you read the New Testament, in the lake of fire, as Jesus describes it, between the whoremonger and the adulterer is the gossip. Why? Because they verbally say that they love God. They verbally say they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And they justify their own actions by their own rationalizations. And, but the reality is the truth of God is far from them. And there is coming a day that we will all stand before God, not before me, not before church, not before man. We will stand before God himself and we will give an account for who we are and how we lived our lives. And ultimately, do we live our lives like Jesus was away in a manger? Or do we live our lives like Jesus Christ is Lord? And that's probably the greatest question we can ask of ourselves during this Christmas season. How am I living my life? Father, I just thank you today for the truth of your word. I thank you today, Lord, that the Bible says of itself that it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That we can hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. This isn't complicated. It's very simple. Internally, not am I perfect. None of us are perfect. Not am I righteous. None of us are righteous. But in my heart of hearts, do I truly love you? Do I truly do my very best to follow you? Not am I a good person, not do I go to church, but if I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and into my life, be my Lord and Savior, have I made a decision to do that? Not my parents, 
or my grandparents, but me. And making a choice to follow you, Jesus, doesn't denounce a, a christening or a baptism as an infant. It just simply says that I, as an adult, get to choose. Because every person that came to follow you in Scripture while you were on this earth that had a public profession of their faith were adults. They were old enough to understand right from wrong and pass the age of accountability. We get to choose. And we can be like the rich young ruler who can inquire and be drawn to you, but yet when you tell us what it's going to take, we can drop our head and walk away because we're not willing to give that. Or we can truly surrender it. And I just pray today you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there's areas in our lives that we need to change, let us change today. If there's areas that we're holding on to, if there's areas where we're giving you the stiff arm, if there's areas in our lives where we're not truly following you, we're not surrendered. You are not the supreme authority in that area. You are not in control of that area. Then help us to submit ourselves to you. Let us never play games with you, God. But with a sober mind and heart, choose to follow you, and to the very best of our ability, let us walk straight when our feet hit the ground. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.